You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Some of my favorite episodes on Cutaneous Miscellaneous are the ones where dermatology residents get pretty much no training or no instruction on during their residency. And today, we've got a great guy to discuss some awesome topics with us. He's an internationally recognized writer and educator on health policy, medical education. He speaks five languages, which is impressive because I can barely speak English. And he has won multiple teaching awards from Georgetown, has published numerous articles in journals, has done book chapters written for prestigious outlets such as the New York Times. He holds a medical degree and master's in public policy degree from the University of Chicago, a former dermatology resident at Georgetown. And I think we're kindred spirits here because he's known as the Punisher due to his penchant for bad puns. So it's so great to welcome Dr. Hussein to Catanius Miscellaneous. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Really nice to have you here. And, you know, Halloween's coming up and uh, I just can't resist. So I have to ask you, why did the Scarecrow win the Nobel Prize? I'm not sure. He was outstanding in the field. (laughs) (laughs) Did you enjoy that one? Yes, definitely. I'll have lots more Halloween jokes when it comes close to the time as well. Amazing. I'm, I'm glad we can both bond on that. I'm sure our listeners are rolling their eyes right now, but I don't care because I, I, that was pretty fun. So we're going to talk about legislative and policy issues that dermatology residents have to know about. Such an important topic, especially with the presidential election coming up in a year. Stuff that really affects our daily lives when we're not even really aware about it. And we're going to keep this episode nonpartisan. And I don't care if you're part of the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Birthday Party, or the Surprise Party. We welcome all political persuasions to continuous miscellaneous because at the end of the day, we're all American citizens. Citizens. And I encourage everyone out there to exercise their vote in the upcoming elections. Personally, I exercise before I vote because it burns more calories that way. So Dr. Hussein, let's get started. We're going to start with something that has nothing to do with legislative and policy issues, and that's mastocytosis, an important topic in and of itself. Let's do some board review for the residents. So let's get started. Can you tell me about the mutations that are involved and um, how to differentiate between the child and adult forms? Sure. So mastocytosis is probably one of the highest yield uh, diseases that you're going to be asked about as a resident. Uh, Having just taken the boards, I can confirm that it is all over the boards in multiple different ways. And since it's a new exam, it's more clinical. So it's helpful to know some of the clinical features. So one of the key mutations is CKIT. And the way they can ask this is that it's also found in other conditions like melanoma on sun damaged skin, as well as piebaldism, especially in the PED setting. And in terms of the childhood and adult forms, usually this is going to be asked in the childhood setting because it's more common. The most common form in childhood is urticaria pigmentosa. However, as a part of my own uh, experience, I have seen solitary mastocytoma way more commonly. So those are probably the two most common uh, forms of it that you're going to be asked about. Okay. And how is this going to look clinically uh, on the exam and in the clinic? So you're going to see reddish brown macules or papules in a Caucasian patient and in a darker skin patient, you have to just be aware that the skin color can be a little bit more subtle. But one key finding is the derriere sign. So when you stroke the lesion, it often releases a lot of histamine causing an urticarial wheel. And in one fourth of cases, you can even see some blistering. Uh, So these are some key findings that you can see. Sometimes they can even be macules and not even clearly papular lesions. 
Awesome. Darius signed super high yield. Nothing to do with Darius disease. So I don't want anybody confused out there, especially the first year residents. Uh, that's very important to keep in mind, both clinically and for the exam. So obviously we're dermatologists. We care about the cutaneous manifestations, but what are some possible internal organ manifestations of this disease? So mastocytosis is basically excess of histamine. So any place in the body that responds to histamine can have various different effects. So patients who have a systemic involvement can have diarrhea. They can even have anaphylaxis affecting their cardiac and respiratory systems. And in very severe cases, it can infiltrate the bone marrow and cause um, a malignancy type picture. So it's very important to kind of do a system-wide evaluation if you're concerned for systemic involvement. Right. It's one of these conditions where the dermatologist can have a really profound impact on a patient's well-being, quality of life, and care. Obviously, we can diagnose the skin manifestations, but we have to realize that there can be internal manifestations as well uh, to make sure they get the appropriate care. How about labs that are important in this condition? What's going to show up, again, on the boards and in the clinic? So there are a variety of tests that you can do. The one that's probably highest yield is tryptase level. And it can be elevated in many cases, and usually 20 is the cutoff for an elevated level, but it can be normal in many cases. So important to know that that's not necessarily something to hang your hat on, even if it's normal. Awesome. So I know looking at this under the microscope, this is obviously on our normal skin histology differential. Uh, stains are important in that case then when we're looking at this, again, normal skin differential. Uh, what stains should we be aware of for the boards and for the dermatopathology core? Extremely high yield as well. Um, so there's a couple of them that are uh, important to know. There's one mnemonic called Give Me To Your Leader, and that highlights three of them. That's Gimza, Toluidine Blue, and Leader, also known as chloroacetate esterase. They can trick you by putting the more, less common name on the exam. But also CD117 and tryptase are also very important stains to know. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Always know both names. They try to trick you with the lesser known names. So chloroacetate esterase, you should, everyone should be aware of. And how about some mast cell degranulators? I know that's a very high yield topic that involves mastocytosis as well. Definitely high yield. Uh, so PROMS is a, a really good mnemonic for this. I, I love mnemonics to remember things. Uh, so P is for polymyxin, R is for radiocontrast dye, O is for opioids, M is for muscle relaxants such as succinylcholine or other anesthetic agents. S is for salicylates and NSAIDs, and there are numerous other ones, including alcohol. So any patient that has, uh, especially a systemic involvement, you just want to counsel them on avoiding some of these medications. Awesome. I love mnemonics too. I have so many mnemonics that I need a mnemonic to keep track of all my mnemonics. <laughs> but obviously, with the amount of information in dermatology, mnemonics uh, are going to be your friend. So that was awesome. Uh, I think everyone should get every question right on mastocytosis after our review here. Thank you for the high yield tips. Thank you for the mnemonics. But let's jump into the episode. Dr. Hussein, we're so lucky to have you here as an expert in health policy. Uh, you have a degree in health policy. You write about this a lot. Uh, you speak about this. So everyone's very lucky to have you here today and listen to you and get some advice on what these issues are, how they affect dermatology, and what we can do to make sure that we're on the winning end of these policies. Because sometimes as a physician, we're out there every day treating patients, taking care of people, but people need to take care of us and make sure we're doing okay, we're getting what we need, and we're able to do that so we can help our patients. And the first topic I want to discuss is presidential elections going to be coming up in about a year. You know, we had the Re Republican presidential debate recently, which is kind of the unofficial kickoff of the election season. And I just want to get uh, some perspectives from you about the differences between the two political parties, how they view healthcare, how they view dermatology. And I took a U.S. healthcare system course in college, so I know a little bit about this, but I want to get your perspective. And I know what I call the iron triangle of any healthcare system or healthcare delivery is cost, quality, and access. So how are the two political parties kind of differing uh, when they look at healthcare and in dermatology for that matter? 
So the, the two parties, the major political parties, essentially have different diagnoses and different solutions for what's wrong with the healthcare system. So I will use Democrats as a broad category, knowing that there are, even within the party, various different strands. But most people generally believe that the government does not do enough to provide health care for the majority of the population. So a lot of Democrats will look to countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, other countries with a universal healthcare system and say that our government should be doing more to provide care for the least, uh, the people who are least able to pay for healthcare, and that the system really is unequal and we need to do more to level the playing field for people that can't afford it. So one of the suggestions is something called Medicare for All, where essentially any patient um, who is a US uh, citizen would qualify for the Medicare program and have a government-sponsored healthcare insurance plan that would help them pay for their costs. Um, so the, the Republican Party, as well as many other smaller third parties, have essentially different diagnoses and different solutions. And again, there is variability within each party, but the broad strokes of this party is that the government actually is too involved. And the regulations and all the restrictions we place on certain delivery aspects of healthcare actually stifle innovation and take the decision making out of the individual person and give it to another entity, whether that's insurance, whether that's the government. So a lot of the more right-leaning parties would like to reduce a lot of that regulation and give more power directly to patients again. Awesome. Now, how about health savings account? Do the different parties differ on this? Because I know patients, it's important to them. They, they use this a lot. Sure. So health savings accounts have become more uh, popular in the press recently. And these are for patients with high deductible health insurance plans where they can put money into these tax-free health savings accounts and use the money to pay for various ancillary services. And there's usually pretty heavy restrictions on what services they can use. So both of the parties generally support this. I will say the Republicans have suggested more uh, diverse reforms to this uh, health savings account. Some of them have suggested allowing this to be used by any American, regardless of their health insurance plan, and also expanding the services they can pay for with them, such as gym memberships, direct primary care, and various other like healthcare peripheral type policies. Awesome. That was really great. Next thing I want to ask about is a topic that's really popular in the news, uh, the Medicare drug price negotiations, which is a part of this mammoth Inflation Reduction Act. And Embril and Stellara, two common dermatology medications, are on this list. So the first thing I want to ask is, why is, was this rule introduced? Uh, so this rule was introduced because Americans pay by far the highest cost for prescription drugs compared to any of our peer nations. This has been an ongoing problem for many years. But there hasn't been any government intervention to reduce these prices. And finally, earlier this year, the um, Inflation Reduction Act stated that there would be 10 medications that the government would be able to somewhat negotiate the prices. And I use that very loosely because these are still very early advisory statements. But it still represents a real change in that this is the first time any government agency really has had any power to uh, set some idea of price for these drugs. And I will tell you, during my public policy degree, we were looking at cost-benefit analyses. There's actually a rule where uh, U.S. government institutions are not allowed to use cost-benefit analysis when determining healthcare decisions because they were worried that that would lead to rationing of healthcare. That's so interesting. I know you mentioned that the U.S. pays higher costs, some of the highest costs across the world for prescription drugs uh, compared to peer nations, mostly. Why is that? There's a few reasons. One of them is that most other countries do have some government price fixing that is involved. They basically set the price for any drug and the drug company can decide whether they think it's worth it to do business in that country or not. 
And unfortunately, because the United States does not have a uh, ability to negotiate these prices, they can charge exorbitant prices in the United States, which is the bulk of their market, that, and use those profits to offset losses that they're experiencing in other countries. Okay, so this seems like a good idea. I've read a little bit about this. Seems like a, actually a great idea. Uh, patients can get more affordable medications, but there's always a catch with everything, especially with the government. So is this going to help dermatologists or hurt dermatologists? Is it really going to help our patients at the end of the day? What do you think about that? So there's definitely various perspectives on this, and there's going to be pros and cons from both sides. Uh, pharmaceutical companies are against this, clearly, because they believe that if these prices are negotiated, there will be fewer innovation happening. There'll be less incentive for companies to invest the billions of dollars it takes to bring a drug from concept to market. And a few studies have found that this rule might result in about 13 fewer drugs being produced over the next several years. And people dispute how significant that is. Sometimes one drug can really be a huge game changer. Sometimes there's lots of drugs that basically do the same thing. They don't really impact it too much. And a lot of people are also concerned that once you allow the government to start negotiating prices on this, this is really a break in the previous uh, policy. What would happen if they tried to negotiate for other services? So it's much like a slippery slope type of argument. But you could argue that patients are definitely going to see benefit for having some price uh, caps. And Medicare, the program, is facing a lot of fiscal issues as the population becomes older and uh, senior citizens require more health care. So these savings can be put back into the Medicare system and keep it solvent for a longer period of time. Awesome. That was a great analysis. So again, how should dermatologists react right now regarding this fast-changing legislation regarding the Medicare drug price negotiations? So the important thing is to basically wait and consider the various options. A lot of times when people make a policy, they, they look at the immediate impacts, but it's really important to consider what we call the secondary effects. What happens in other industries? What are the indirect effects of the policy? So I think the best strategy is to just observe and talk to people that we know are patients who are affected by this issue, as well as people that we know working in the drug development industry, the insurance industry, and just get their opinions. Because this is a pretty new rule, and it's definitely going to be challenged. It's going to be several years before we even see the beginning of this uh, starting to happen. But I think the debate is good to have right now, and we really should keep an open mind and feel that we should take all the information before making a, a commitment to what we want to do next. That's very true. You know, most legislation that's passed by presidents, we don't really see the full impact until the next presidential term. If Whether it was a good idea, a bad idea, is it helping, is it hurting? So everyone should keep these points in mind, study this, read about it, and stay on top of the rapidly changing uh, pace, again, of this important rule that will affect our daily practice and our patients. Next thing I want to ask about is a topic that every time I read about my blood pressure goes up a little bit, is the Medicare cuts uh, for dermatologists, for doctors in general. So why is Medicare cutting physician pay? It seems like every year that just keeps getting cut and our reimbursement is going down. Is that true? And, and why? So there's a mix of factors going on. So uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the government passed various laws to inject money into the economy and especially the healthcare sector. And whenever you inject money into the economy, you do have to find savings in certain places. So part of this was a, a cut that was passed uh, to offset the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic as well as adjusting the RVU or relative value unit calculation for particular services. The other problem is that we know that inflation is becoming a, a real issue for a lot of Americans. And there is a built-in price increase for healthcare services. But since inflation is so high, that price increase is not keeping up with the price of inflation. So even though some of the prices that we charge might be higher, th that's not really translating into more payments uh, because of this high rate of inflation. 
Okay, so how will these pay cuts affect dermatologists? That's what I'm concerned about, all my colleagues are concerned about at the end of the day. So right now, according to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, dermatology is one of the specialties most affected by this uh, budget neutrality adjustment. And there will be projected 6% decrease this year and 7% next year. And that's, that's a real challenge. And I think this, the other problem is that there's just a big shortage of dermatologists. So dermatologists that can't make ends meet with their practice are either going to move to another place or they're going to sell their practice, close their practice. That's going to translate to less available care for many of our patients. Wow, this is heartbreaking to hear about that. Such a tough situation to be in. So I want to know what can I do or what can be done uh, to, to mitigate this, to stop this? So th that's a great question. In general, this is actually one of the uh, issues that pretty much all of medicine has really united behind. And there's a lot of uh, healthcare organizations out there that represent a variety of specialties that are really calling on Congress to address this issue. And there's a bill pending right now called the Strengthening Medicare for Patients and Providers Act. It's bipartisan. It's sponsored by four physicians in Congress. And basically what this would do was uh, set the increase that occurs each year and index that partially to inflation. So that would offset this problem where inflation is basically outpacing the price of, of, of healthcare services. And I encourage any member listening to this to call their congressman, donate to SkinPack or other advocacy organizations on behalf of dermatology, and just make your voice heard. Because as a doctor, you have a lot of input and politicians really do take your view seriously. Yeah, and I, I want to kind of end on this point because it's super important, probably the most important point that we can discuss in this episode. I want to talk about how residents and early career derms can get involved with health policy because after a hard day's work, if we go home and play golf, go out to dinner, go to the beach, all wonderful things to do. And again, appropriate in many situations. We're going to let the field kind of slip away from us. And we're going to let the government and the lawmakers who have none of our interests at heart just kind of do what they want. And I, their goal at the end of the day is to balance the budget and take money from wherever they can. Uh, so what can we do? What can I do, residents, early career derms, any dermatologist do to, uh, to, to fight for this and fight for us? Because we know what our interests are, our best interests are, and we want to make sure those are taken care of. Sure. So I think the first step is to have a working knowledge of health policy. And the best way to do that is to read about it. And a lot of the major newspapers do a great job of summarizing the major arguments on both sides of the issue. There's actually a New York Times op-ed today specifically about the Medicare cuts and the four arguments that people are going to raise about it. So the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, The Hill, these are all really good newspapers. You can also look at think tanks that publish various different viewpoints about policy. And you can kind of compare the merits of each different think tank. They usually have their ideological bias really clear. And it's always worth it to look at different perspectives before you make your own decision on an issue. Once you do have some expertise, I think the best idea is to join a professional society. So most of the uh, dermatology groups do have a advocacy arm. So for example, I'm part of the American Contact Dermatitis Society uh, Health Policy Committee. There's also the AMA, there is the ASDS, there are various other ones. And there's also various ways you can get involved directly. There's actually a legislative conference that the AAD sponsors each year where residents and attendees can travel to Capitol Hill and advocate directly for um, policies that we would like as dermatologists. And I think it's very important to have that face time and make our voice heard. Those are all great ideas. And I know everyone's super busy practicing dermatology, enjoying their life, spending time with their family. So if you don't have enough on, uh, enough bandwidth to read about this or engage in these issues, at least just donate some money to SkinPact or the organization that you think is going to make the most impact on these things. Because it's like voting. If you don't vote, you can't complain about policies that are made or 
things that are going on. And if we just, again, don't engage in these issues, we don't read about them, we don't talk about them, we don't bring them up, we can't complain about what's happening to our field. And this is something I'm pretty passionate about. Uh, I want to start doing more of this because I feel like sometimes in the clinic, I these days I'm just suggesting medications and whatever the formulary and the insurance company allows me to do, I have to, I have to pick at the end of the day. So we want to just make sure policies are put in place that help us, allow us to practice what we love to do so we can ultimately help our patients, which is the most important thing and which is what we all got into this to do in the first place. And a couple more uh, questions. So again, what are some good resources to learn about health policy? I know I mentioned a couple, but what are some other resources you might recommend uh, for someone who, let's say, starting out and has really no knowledge about this? Great. Yeah. So I think the the first thing is the AAD, uh, our major organization, has a advocacy page that you can go to, and they have a list of policies that dermatologists are uh, very passionate about. So even if you know nothing about health policy, I think it's helpful to at least know about the main topics that are being addressed in our specialty. Last year in the AAD conference, there was actually a session on health policy hot topics in derm. They talked about things like the lidocaine shortage, things about drug pricing, as well as Medicare cuts. So some of the highlights, uh, it's important to at least have a working knowledge of these things. And another place that you can find good research is a website called the Commonwealth Fund. It's a think tank where they compare healthcare systems across various countries. So if you're curious how Germany or Singapore or Canada does healthcare, and if there is any lessons that the United States could learn, that's a good place to get started on that. That's some great advice on getting started. And Dr. Hussein, this is an awesome episode, such an important topic that, again, dermatology residents pretty much get no training, no instruction on during the residency, but it's so important to their everyday practice, their, the financial health of their practice, the health of their patients. So I'm really glad to have you here to discuss all this. And I've got one more question. I know you did training in D.C. I love D.C. I love Georgetown. So I want to ask you, in a city with a ton of tourist attractions and world-famous sites, what's your favorite tourist attraction in D.C. and why? So my favorite place to go is actually kind of a hipster pick, honestly. It's the International Spy Museum. So this got a huge renovation in the past 10 years. Um, so I went in college and I went now and it's completely different. And it basically lets you pretend to be a secret agent. You get a secret identity. You go through all these different challenges where you have to kind of bluff your way through different things. And you learn all about the history of espionage um, in the Soviet Union, but even way back in like the ninja times. So I think it's a really interesting museum and it's really unique. I've not found anything else like it in any other city. That sounds awesome. That's something I definitely would love to check out. I'm very interested in the CIA and CIA agents and the FBI. That sounds like a really nice place that, uh, to visit. But of course, I love the White House, the Lincoln Monument, the Washington Monument. All those things are great. DC is such a fun city. Uh, it's got a great energy. Our world leaders are there making decisions every day. So again, this is such a great episode. We really appreciate all of your knowledge and all of your tips. And we just, again, both of us want to encourage everyone out there to engage in these issues, read about them, and make your voice heard to help us help our colleagues uh, give the best care that we can give every day to our patients. So again, Dr. Hussein, it was great to have you here. Thanks so much.